Dumelang Mzanzi Nolutandu Ngakani here, your head of news over at Health for Mzanzi. Joining me on this podcast, my colleague and co-sister in action, Lucinda Dodley. Hey Lulu, and to our listeners, welcome back to another episode of Sisters Without Shame, a podcast that is proudly brought to you by Health for Mzanzi. Suffer in silence for whomst when this podcast is a safe space for your medical shames and woes, babes. Every week, we will hold your hand as we unpack those ever so embarrassing health questions you would not dare ask in public. Have ingrained toenails and stinky breath got you down? No problems, babe. We still got you. Lucinda, there you have it. It's the end of the road and I'm ready to let go. I'm literally, but also (laughs) I'm actually literally so nervous about 2022, child. It has been a pretty unpredictable couple of years ago. All I'm hoping for is good health and more money in 2022. Only bags, no problems. Give me swimming pools of money and I'll dive in. But we do have some friends in crisis who are in need of sisterly shoulders to cry on. As our listeners do know, on every episode, we listen to a voice note, read a WhatsApp, or email message from a Health for Mzanzi reader. These messages are obviously confidential and we will never mention your name. Sans, who is our friend in crisis this week? This week, we have a message from Johannesburg. Anonza writes, Hi sisters! I am having so much anxiety knowing that 2022 is around the corner. I feel like it will be a challenging year because of the things and changes that will happen in that year. My stomach has been in jitters since last week. Any tips on how to help stop this anxiety I'm feeling? Many people experience anxiety symptoms. Lucinda, you know a guilty pleasure of mine is Google. So according to Google, many people experience anxiety symptoms that cause them more anxiety and many others find that their thoughts and feelings make them kind of avoid things that would otherwise help improve the way that they feel. Lulu, I sometimes wonder about what your Google search looks like. This week, we have clinical psychologist Dr. Evelyn Bienneke, who is more qualified to help our friend than a Google search. Bienneke practices in Cape Town where she helps the patients manage their coping mechanisms to overcome anxiety. What exactly is anxiety and when does it become problematic for you? That's an important question because if you understand what anxiety is, it's no mystery how to treat it. Anxiety is simply the anticipation of a future threat. It's all in your thoughts. Fear, on the other hand, is an emotional response that you get that is associated with a surge of adrenaline in that fight or flight response. But anxiety is characterized by another state other than fight or flight. And that state is freeze. And that's why anxious people can be described as like a deer being caught in the headlight. Or to put it more bluntly, they run around like a headless chicken. They're not thinking. They're just so anxious they're not fully functioning. When that happens, it's become a problem because it means that the person is not functioning fully as they would want to, and it causes distress. Nobody enjoys being anxious. 
So already once one starts to feel a bit dissociated, it's already a problem then, I would say. Obviously, we've got so much going on in the world. It's climate change here. Now there's this Omicron economic world. Would you say that we are in the grip of an anxiety epidemic as well? One has to, because if a person feels that large areas of our lives are not under our own control, and furthermore, that in our minds we anticipate there's a danger and there's a threat that we can't control, it's a tailor-made thing for anxiety. Because um, there is a threat in many cases. People have the threat of losing their jobs, the threat of getting ill. They have the threat of having to deal with people who have died and loss of income and bereavement and all those many issues, educating kids at home for which parents have become solely responsible. There's so many unknowns that it is a recipe for anxiety It's not completely abnormal, is it? It's a normal human response to this overwhelming threat that is objectively dangerous as well. That doesn't mean that there aren't ways to deal with it. It's just that given, as you say, what you call anxiety epidemic, which puts it perfectly, it's not such an abnormal reaction. It's just there must be another way that we can deal with this. And of Mm. course, there are. Are there ways in which people can then cope with anxiety? Yes. People are different, fortunately. But people who are inclined to be anxious are all characterized by one thing. They are not grounded in the present, number one. Number two, they're very emotional. Number three, they tend to catastrophize things, so everything is a disaster. And number four, they don't just accept a situation. There are lots of shoulds. It should be like this. No, I must do that. They're very strict for themselves. So those kind of people really will need help. On the other hand, there are people that are a lot more open and less inclined to catastrophize a situation. They'll say, yeah, this is bad, you know, but it's giving me time with my family. That's just an example. But they're more open to the possibility that there isn't only one interpretation for every situation. These are people, and this is very important, they can switch off their emotions. And we teach people in therapy. I know that there's this thing with therapy, you know, get in touch with your feelings. Not when you're dealing with anxiety. Please know it's too much emotion. We have to turn down the anxiety so that we can think because by definition, anxiety is all about thinking. It's closely tied to emotions and feelings. But it's not the same thing. That's the fear. The anxiety is all about the things you tell yourself. I'm helpless. I'm lonely. I can't do this. I'm inadequate. I'm failing. These are the kinds of things we tell ourselves. If you do that, not helpful. Don't do that. They can sort of switch it off long enough, be in the present, cool, calm, collected, deal with it. Is that how then you learn to then kind of cope with it? Silence little voices in your head. (laughs) That's exactly what we do in therapy. Silence those voices because they're usually lies in any case. There's no evidence that you're going to never get a job again. Where's the evidence? Have you tried? How many times have you tried? What's the evidence that you're never going to get over this bereavement? There's no evidence. If you put the steps in place, there's probably very good evidence 
just as you've succeeded, so many people are so resilient in this country. They've dealt with poverty. They've dealt with apartheid. They've dealt with being unfairly charged for crimes. They've dealt with crime. They've dealt with terrible oppression and injustice. And then they think they can't deal with COVID. No, it's a lie that we tell ourselves. It's not true. I like that, how you say that we are bigger than all these issues that we faced as a country. And do you feel that that COVID's the least of our problems? Yeah, it is. And then also, you know, when then does your anxieties and fears, when do they become a sort of disorder? The way that it is defined as a disorder, you know, there are many different types of anxiety and they differ from in how long they last, like is it transient or how how long is it sticking around for? Usually um, people who are inclined to be anxious They're going to overestimate the actual danger that they have. So the first thing we have to do is assess how rational, as I said, is the danger. And once you do that, and only once you've done that, can you classify this thing as an anxiety disorder. Because if you are only anxious about one specific thing, say you're afraid of public speaking, then that is anxiety related to public speaking. But if your anxiety props up while you're on the way to the shop, when you're alone lying in bed, when you're in the bath, when you're talking to somebody, this thing just comes at you. That is a generalized anxiety disorder, and it's not related to a specific trigger. But the one thing that is part of it is excessive anxiety and worry, worry, worry. So the person finds it very difficult to control the worry. And the anxiety and the worry are associated with other symptoms like restlessness, being easily tired, difficulty concentrating, or the mind just going blank, you know, like that headless chicken thing, irritability, muscle tension, sleep disturbance, that is difficulty falling or staying asleep, or just restless, unsatisfying sleep. So those are the actual objective criteria for a diagnosis of an anxiety disorder. I can relate <laughs> some parts there. To some of them, sure. Yeah. And then how do you better cope with anxiety, and especially the new year? Is there like a sort of recipe to the madness? Cognitive behavior therapy is not a secret. Everything that I will tell you now, you can Google and find yourself, but it's helpful to have somebody work with you, but it's very simple. You identify in your mind what things you are telling yourself about the new year? What are you catastrophizing in the new year? And then stop it. Say to yourself, you know, you're exaggerating. You're such a drama queen. Stop your nonsense. And you stop that. That's point number one. Point number two, you shut down your negative emotions, actually all emotions. Allow yourself to be joyful, not to be shameful about what has been, not to feel guilty about the past, to be positive about the future. Know yourself. What are your core positive character traits? Get in touch with those. Don't think so much about the horror of what a new year would Know yourself. Say, this is me. This is who I am. I accept that my procrastination is all about fear, but now I'm going to, this coming year, I'm not going to give into that fear. I'm going to switch off the fear and I'm just going to do what I need to do as a calm, coping, healthy adult 
woman, because that's who I am. So with that kind of attitude, it makes a big difference. They always used to say in high school that your attitude determines your latitude. But now I get it. <laughs> well, they also say, you know, you, if you can't change a situation, then you must change your attitude to it. And it's so true, isn't it? It is very true. You know, what are the symptoms of an anxiety disorder? Well, you know, it depends. People feel a lot of things that they interpret as anxiety. Anxiety is focused on illness a lot. So it can be a pain in the leg, a pain in the chest, a headache. They interpret those symptoms as being related to anxiety. It's not necessarily the case. But as I said, muscle tension is a definite thing, this feeling of being very tensed up. As a result of muscle tension, I would say things like my headaches, migraines, backache, lower backache, because always sitting in such a tensed up position. Of course, sleep is a huge red flag. You know, if you can't sleep, you can't function. Adults need about eight hours of sleep a night. And if you're not getting that, that's a big one. Yeah. You know, but it can be many things. Breathlessness, the tightness in the chest. I can't speak. You know, what am I going to say? I'm making such a fool of myself. All those thought patterns. And then the symptoms just get worse and worse. The physical symptoms. I always <laughs> cry. I always have a little cry. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. That's great. If you, some people can't cry. I mean, men are conditioned not to cry. If only they would cry more often. Crying is great. But then you've got to let it go because you can't give into this fire of emotion. No, we can't go there. Mm. It's too much. We've got to just switch it off and deal with the anxiety. But it's almost impossible then to deal with the anxiety while you're crying. Do you see what I mean? When then should you actually seek help once you've been experiencing these symptoms? Is that, is well, that where you should go when you seek help? If you as, as the individual are feeling distressed, like this is just not cool. And if you can't function properly socially, if it's affecting your work or your study, then you need help. Yeah, but it must cause you distress. I mean, you've got to be unhappy about it. You know, there's some people that are anxious. They seem very uptight. They seem very anxious, but actually they don't feel that it's a problem. They're functioning fine. They're very successful at what they do. They just seem very wound up, very tightly wound. I know a couple of things. Yes, but they're okay because they're functioning okay. But once it affects, as I've already said, work, studying, yeah. And, of course, anxiety can happen in children too. Since also, you know, kids are starting school next year and they've been attending schools Mm -hmm. in the whole pandemic, you know, what should you look out for? anxiety in, in your kids? Well, it mainly manifests as separation anxiety in kids, and it's normal. If it's excessive, then you know it's expressed by a lot of crying, a lot of tantrums, a lot of freezing, a lot of clinging behavior, or a failure to speak. So those are the signs in children. And how do you also help them better cope with the anxiety since they can't express themselves as much as we do? Correct. That's absolutely correct. Well, um, people who work with children do it by encouraging 
a secure attachment with a parent or parents so that the child feels, you know, when I come home, my mother's going to be there. No one's going to, just because I go to school, I don't have to be, the world is not such a scary place. When I come home, my mother's still going to be there and she's going to love me. We're going to be happy. So it's those kind of exercises that the child learns through experience and they also do it through play therapy, which is very helpful for kids. But a secure, firm attachment, nothing can beat that. No price can put on secure attachment between a child and a caregiver. Difficult for mothers because they're doing the best they can, you know. We're all doing the best we can. <laughs> yeah. And actually, sometimes your best is just good enough. Actually, sometimes you don't have to do more. Because, you know, we as women, we put so much pressure on ourselves to do more, better. No, no, let me do more. Let me give you more. Is that enough? Can I cook you some more? Mm. Must, I look, must I look different? Must I be better? It's nonsense. We really have to be gentle with ourselves. And good enough is just good enough sometimes. Mostly. Always. Thank you for joining this week's episode of Sisters Without Shame, Evelyn. For more on New Year anxiety, check out healthfromzanzi.co.za. Remember, if you are in a medical jam, feel free to email us at hello at healthformzanzi.co.za. You can even send us a WhatsApp on 076-132-0454. We will never blue tick you, babes. I swear every Sisters Without Shame episode is such a teaching moment for me, Lucinda. The real tea for me was Evelyn unpacking children's anxiety for the new year. We think grown-ups are struggling in the pandemic, but those tiny humans are also going through it. When your kids get anxious, it is natural for parents to want to help them feel better. The best way to help your kids overcome anxiety is to teach them to deal with it when it comes up. With practice, they could become less anxious. Hey, panoramic. This panoramic goes in line with empathy. I feel like empathy is the word of the year for me. The whole children are seen and not heard kind of thinking is so outdated. That brings us to the end of episode 22 of Sisters Without Shame, proudly brought to you by Healthform Zanzi. From me, Lulu Ngakani. And from me, Lucinda Dordley. Have a great week and remember to show us some love by sharing this podcast with a friend.